Greetings, adventurers. Before we begin today's tale, we'd like to talk about our sponsor for a service that is both useful and important. We speak, of course, of NordVPN. NordVPN is a virtual private network application, basically a magic item with infinite counterspell scrolls that can work against the scrying factions of the interwebs and various protective charms that keep your virtual communication pigeons and messages safe. In a technical sense, it establishes a secure connection to a remote server in the astral plane and allows you to access so much more content from across the world and greater multiverse. We set up our podcasting business while we still lived in the US, but after moving to Germany, we saw several problems arise we hadn't expected. Some of the things we needed on a daily basis are region locked to the US, like our banking. So we started using a VPN to securely log onto the banking website until we could talk to our bank about the issue. After two hours talking with them, their grand solution was exactly what we had figured out, NordVPN. But NordVPN isn't only a stoic bodyguard, it also has a fun side. Did you know that a large variety of entertainment is region locked, like your old DVDs? What's a DVD? Let's not make us feel old and instead explain that while you're logged into NordVPN, you can stream television shows as if you were in a different country. <clears throat> I mean, realm state. So you might have access to an entirely new lineup of great entertainment from services you're already paying for and subscribed to. NordVPN even unlocked a menagerie of new German horror content we'd never even heard of and are delighted to be enjoying every week. To get the best discount for your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com slash darkdice. Our link also gives listeners four extra months on a two-year plan. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you've been thinking about using a VPN or are looking for a newer and safer way to utilize the content you're already paying for, or really paranoid that the silent one is secretly reading your emails, give NordVPN a try. Calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Greetings adventurers, it has been far too long and I wanted to apologize for the delays we've had on this end. As some of you are aware, I've been very much under the weather, not COVID, but unable to talk in a way that didn't sound horrible for over three weeks. You can still hear it in my voice, kind of. To make matters more complicated, one of our behind the scenes team members, our key transcriptionist for the season, passed away due to COVID. And things have been understandably slow moving and hectic to say the least. With that in mind, we'll be taking a very brief one month hiatus for the month of December, so we don't fall behind on a release schedule again. In that time, we'll be releasing... Wait, I thought we were on hiatus. Ah. We'll be releasing a non-canonical Christmas special and also working on a top-secret Patreon music thing that uh, we've been hinting at on social media. Down through the woods and through the underground The forest of dreams A god's prison is found And as we tiptoe through horrors Yes, I can feel the call As the void, it pulls me closer down no! We want to thank you again simply for listening and for your continued support. 
We are releasing new pen and paper content on our Patreon too, should you be interested in helping make the show possible and journeying into the Darklands in the adventure We Do Not Fear the Dark, or checking out our very painful critical hit chart, or our upcoming musical thing, maybe. But for now, let's get started. A story of monsters, mystery, and myth, and the four adventurers who have banded together as heroes and as friends. And then he hears Val's voice from above, and then he basically feels better. Yeah. <laughs> Who come together to make the world a little safer for their fellow mortals. Hard creatures. I brought Hody! <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We can't put yep. Hody in danger. Well, I guess it's hero time. Reckless Attack is a weekly, collaboratively built, and character-driven D&D 5th edition actual play podcast. Join us at our table as we explore a homebrew fantasy world whose future is built on the mistakes of the past. A story of ultra giants and saints, legends and rediscovery, and stacks of frogs. Jackers is building his own Ewok village. <laughs> yes, <he is. laughs> uh-huh. Check us out at recklessattack.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Shayless Pace. Salis. Do you seek him? Do you seek him? Do you seek him? Do you seek him? Do you seek the nameless god? You have found yourself among those who roll the dark dice. What you are about to hear happened long ago. A story brought back from the edge of oblivion, dutifully transcribed, and enhanced orally to better captivate your attention. Previously, the team found themselves stalked by the Silent One. Now deep within the dead pines, they must work together to find their way back to Ilmitter's hope. Dark Dice, The Long Road, Chapter 4B, Lost. Twilight was upon the team by the time Glom's disposition brought the group to a halt. Realizing that they needed to get a full night of recovery after a series of restless attempts, Soren began to check their surroundings, uncertain if he might find himself face to face with Balmer, the Silent One, giants, or any other horrors the Dead Pines might have in store for them. So I feel like we're actually in a fairly safe area, except... Wait a minute. I think I see something. Yes, I spy with my keen, blood-covered eye the sputtering of a campfire. We should probably check it out, cautiously. I suppose we shouldn't be seen, so perhaps we should split up? Who is the uh, sneakiest among us, I wonder? Glom turns around and his sword hits a tree. (laughs) I would, uh... I would recommend our friends stay seated here, and perhaps I go take a look, certainly. Ildrix, my friend, this is your time to shine. Or rather, uh, not shine. You're going to be stealthing, right? Uh, yeah. Stealthing as much as I can. I kind of like not walking into a mystery by myself. Any louder than I have to. It's kind of a thing you don't take for granted after you've been kidnapped by elves. 
good, good. Okay, we're all on the same page of the same book, then. The uh, campfire is about 80 feet ahead in that... No, that direction. Thanks. Okay, well, that's a nat 20. Dang it. They will not see nor hear me. You're like the shadows. Hey, where did Hildrick go? <laughs> He's right there. Oh, wait, no he isn't. Hildrick! Hildrick silently crept upon the camp, discovering it to be tended to by seven humanoids. From a safe distance of 60 feet away and through his tired and bloodshot eyes, Ildrix took a second look and felt more confident that there were actually eight humanoids and that they were all asleep except for one that seemed to be in prayer and their lone watchman who was eating. Most of the humanoids were a variant of half plate and their watch notably had red hair. Do I see any signs of, uh, signs of weapons or, of course, uh, probably not symbols? or anything at this distance, but 21 for perception. As Ildrix took two soundless steps closer, he could see that they all appeared to be armed. Given the armor, they were perhaps soldiers or mercenaries? Not elven, judging by the materials they wore and the bulkier nature of their bodies. Stepping even closer, he could almost make out the words of their watchman. A dwarven or else half-dwarven woman, for she was fairly tall, as she muttered to herself while taking another bite of her meal. Behind her, a man in plate held his hands in front of his chest, fingers locked in prayer. That individual was probably their leader. Can Eldrick see, like, regalia or anything that might put, uh, put them from a city or kingdom? While almost surely present, Eldrick could not make out those details from this distance unless he possessed magically enhanced vision. Yeah, walking closer. As he was silent as the grave, Eldrick moved closer. Yeah, no. I'll keep going just a little bit closer than that. Okay. As Ildrix was now close enough to make out greater detail, he finally realized that something was off. The guards were fully armored, which he remembered was not conducive to sleeping. With this revelation, Ildrix took in the situation a second time and noticed the odd positions in which the figures were asleep. While not familiar with human sleeping habits, he felt that seeing them sprawled out and face down did not register as particularly normal to him. Mm -hmm. Now creeping a mere 15 feet away, Ildrick stared at the closest figure, realizing that he lacked eyes or teeth. His throat had been cut open, torn pieces dangling out, and if Ildrix was correct, the man's tongue was missing. By the tree, the praying figure was now revealed to be clutching a bloodied wound, the source of which had propped him up. The man's bowed head, obscured from the earlier angle, now revealed dried blood where the man's eyes were, with small tears of dried black trickling down his nose and ears. The woman, however, was very much alive, standing, chewing, and chuckling to herself in dwarfish. Which I do not speak. I think she's making such a funny joke. <laughs> Ildrix passed his test of sanity with a joke of his own and began to note the woman's features. On her sternum, she wore a chest plate that bore a symbol comprised of scales. Her wild eyes were distracted by her meal, 
and a small stringed instrument was affixed to her hip. Mm -hmm. And Ildrix could tell that she was eating something raw and gory. Nasty. Dwarves. Gross. Um, yeah, I don't, uh, as, as, when I see that, I don't move any closer, and I, uh, uh, I stealthily retreat to my compatriots. The woman's joke grew briefly louder as Ildrix returned, eventually reaching the others. He did not make his presence immediately known, however, taking the opportunity to overhear some of their conversation. Notably, Gale or Glom had sacrificed some of their water to help clean the blood off Soren's face, hair, and beard. As far as I know, I was having a lovely dream. I was playing with my uh, childhood dog, and then... Actually, that's not quite the part, is it? No, tell us about your watch. You didn't do anything to provoke his sudden mood swing. As far as I know, yes, we were just having a nice conversation, getting to know each other. He had wandered off to check the perimeter. I was trying to stay awake, frankly. And when he came back, he, uh... Well, he whispered something in my ear, which has become quite familiar to me. It's a variation, actually. The phrase I know so well is the Hafwick Ma. But he asked... The They both essentially mean the same thing, meaning, do you seek the nameless god? The former is almost like a password, <laughs> or something they, the uh, followers of the nameless god, seem to say. However, he said the longer version, which I felt was more of a, a personal question directed at me. I was uh, a little confused. It's all... it's rather strange. Oh, heavens, I didn't see you sneak up on us, Ildrix. There is a fiery small one who appears to be devouring people's eyes and things, and she mentioned the phrase that you said in your story, the, uh, de half wicker mom? Yeah, that one. Uh, she's got that going on. Glom draws his a bead on Ildrich with a bow and arrow. Say something that only... How do we know it's you and not whoever? I I think you, you, sir, are losing your mind. Ah, oh, that's good. I'm going to need you to kneel down slowly. Gail puts her hand on Glom's shoulder and very calmly says, Put it down. What? Th- th- that's what happened to what's-his-name. Went away, came back in. You said a, uh, a fiery small one. I'm assuming you mean a dwarf with red hair? It, yes, exactly. She, uh, she, uh, has a, she, she has an instrument on her, and she seems to be laughing and chanting to herself as she eats the remains of what appear to be seven other humanoid creatures. Uh, and I glance back at her, with my amazing perception rolls, and and there she goes. Indeed, as the sun had now set, the woman fled into the woods, away from the campfire, laughing and chanting. Uh, should we chase her? She's like 80 feet away. Chase who? I, I can't even see her. I, I just see a campfire. Uh, okay, maybe I don't run. I, uh, I don't see a reason to run off into the woods alone after a cannibal dwarf. That's a logical line of thinking. I I think I know the person you're describing. She's the one who betrayed me back by the gate. Though 
Honestly, it could be the silent one in her form, trying to continue messing with me in what has become the worst week of my life, frankly. <sighs> Guam is trying to not meet Gail's eyes. I did not know Rowena to uh, eat people's eyes or go running off, screaming into the forests. While I'd normally assume it might be the silent one, I also didn't know her to stab me three times in the heart, so it's all a bit confusing. Being that she has fled, do we want to survey the remains or carry on our path away from here? Let me just get this straight. The dragon guy, who we don't know if he's actually the dragon guy, is saying that a woman we can't see has fled. My eyes are better than yours, small one. Right now, we also need all the help and cooperation we can get, and frankly, Ildrix has given us no reason not to trust him. This is the time to agree, Glom. You're being flighty. You need to be calm, and what reason would you have? Really, what reason would you have not to trust him? I don't know if I would trust my judgment of character, Gale. After all, I trusted the other guy. This is true, but we knew him for less time, and Eldrex has saved us on more than one occasion. I will say, with the silent one skulking around, you can never quite be sure who's who, but it's best to trust each other until it's absolutely necessary not to. I see you are having difficulties with this, friend. Um... I wish I could put you at ease in some way, shape, or form to prove I am a friend. But for now, you will have to trust. Very well. What do we do? Where do we go now? Do we stay? We can't... St this is not a great place to camp here. Did you see anyone else at the campfire? Unfortunately, I did not. Um, everyone from a distance appeared to be sleeping, but upon closer inspection, appeared to have been very murdered. Uh... There were marks from blades, stabbings, uh, the removal of eyes. Yeah, Pro it's probably not something you want to see. Were they hunters, bandits? They bore the crescent bladeheads of Ukathe uh, on their heraldry. Only the symbol appeared to be on fire. The Hell Shields. Human mercenaries who follow the orc war goddess Ukathe. In my experience, Ukathe is a human shaped war goddess. Either way, she's evil. They're evil. The Hell Shields are nothing but religious mercenary bullies who believe they can punish anyone they want. That's why I serve a real god, Raelir. I feel like I should mention again that the elves who tried to kill me worshipped Raelir. I'd also like to throw out there that not all of Ukathe's teachings are evil, and many of her followers are fairly decent. I'm starting to miss Ayat. I think we need to move this along a bit faster if we're to survive. Whatever their moral ambiguities might have been, I can assure you that it was no easy feat to kill a group of armed mercenaries. Yes, there appeared to be seven or eight of them. So if it is this silent one, then they, um... Well, they did not stand a chance. Therefore, we should find the quickest route away. I am Eldrick Miston. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. And you are sure they were completely dead? All of them? I'm by no means very knowledgeable on human sleeping habits, but they were all, um, except for one of them, lying face down, or sleeping, in multiple pieces around their camp, with, uh, with blood pooling under them, from what I could tell. And what about the last one? Yeah, uh, 
uh, one was mounted to a tree with, with a blade. Pretty sure his insides were also wrapped around the tree a oh, few times. Gods. So uh, should we survey the, the bodies or carry on to another location away from this? Um, as much as I'm inclined not to, I think we should go and look at them. Let's uh, draw closer to the campfire here. Keep an eye on the trees. All right, Glum. Keep close to me and keep quiet. Soren can lead. All right. It's as Ildrix described earlier. Corpses, seven of them on the ground, one pinned to a tree. They have an assortment of heavy armors. Judging from their positions and the attack wounds, it's safe to say they were probably set upon while they were camping. How are you able to see anything in this dark? It's not that dark out, but I thought that the campfire also made things a bit brighter. Gail could barely see Glom's expression as he strained to meet her curious glance in the dark, sputtering light of the dying campfire. Do you have some kind of dark vision? Not that I'm aware of. Huh. Demons, witches, and undead can also see at night. Dwarves, too, I'm told. Just to keep us on task, is it obvious what killed these men? They appear to have been pierced by something, or stabbed, then maybe cut open with a knife later, because all of their throats have been opened on display for all the world to see. Do they have teeth? Soren, Gale, and Glom were required to make sanity saving throws. Soren wasn't flinching in the face of such brutality, perhaps aided by his gallows humor. Some of them are missing teeth, perhaps more than they were missing when they died. I'll start to look for some kind of a pattern to the killings, maybe offer a better picture of what transpired here. Give me a few moments. Natural 20. Glom had surely kicked someone's teeth out or in before, <laughs> and the present darkness saved him from seeing the more gruesome details. Five. I... I think I'm going to be sick. Gail, are you? <laughs> oh. <coughs> Take your time. Gail, however, upon examining one of the corpses closer, saw too much and took ten stress damage as she fled to the edge of the campsite to vomit her most recent meal. I'm sorry. I led us straight to this. I don't think you need to take that pressure on yourself. They knew the risks when they entered the pines. How far are we from leaving the woods? Hmm. Maybe just over a day and a half. We're still over a day from getting out of these woods. It, it would take longer to get back. It would now, yes. <sighs> so, it seems sensible just to push on. <sighs> so, apparently there's a bit of a system regarding the loss of teeth. I won't get into the gory details, but it's deliberate, and the teeth selected are ones you probably still use. Well, I'm going to see if anything is actively sticking the one guy to the tree there, hmm? Excuse me. Pardon me. Well, he appears to be stuck in place by a simple dagger. I'm going to yank it out. Soren's hand seared with pain as he touched the dagger and took one damage. Um, are, are, are you all right, Soren? Yeah, fine. Just this dagger burned me or something. I go over and I take a look at it. Hmm. Looks simple enough. Watch that you don't burn yourself. It's, uh, remarkably painful. Got it. Ildrix looked at the dagger, clearly pinning the corpse into place. 
The man's hands were now dangling freely. Between calm breaths, while examining the body for additional traps, Ildrix noted carefully that two of the man's fingers were missing, but that they had probably been that way for a long time before the man died. Are all humans born with ten fingers? Most of the time, but in that man's case, it looks like an old battle wound. I heard something recently that one in four, or maybe one in six people in the Bright Vale has some kind of injury on that level. Hmm. And not hoping to become a statistic, Ildrix will brace himself for pain and carefully pull out the dagger. Ildrix took a deep breath and lowered his center of gravity before quickly grabbing and pulling the knife out in a swift motion. He almost dropped the blade, more out of fright of what might happen than out of pain, and because it was cold. But he retained his grip as the body fell to the ground without ceremony. Mm-hmm. Sorn glanced at Ildrix quizzically as both men carefully examined the blade and handle, Ildrix seemingly unaffected by its mysterious effects. The dagger appears to... appears to be fine. Ildrix cautiously cleans the blade with a piece of cloth and looks at it closer. Uh, then he pours a bit of ale on it to sterilize it, <laughs> oblivious to the fact that it doesn't work that way, before licking the blade to determine more about it. It doesn't taste entirely like steel. I think there's maybe a hint of a different metal on there, but with a seven, uh, I can't be sure what it is. I'm confused as to why it would have hurt you, but, um, it's... it's removed now. Soren kind of holds out his hand, wonderingly, but doesn't make too much of it. Yeah, I... I don't know. But at least we've got him down now. No one should be both dead and suspended, in my opinion. Looking at the body, a mix of robes and armor. A cleric, perhaps? This looks to be their their healer, um, who didn't didn't quite... Fit the bill. His clothing appears to have some sigils, the crescent blade heads of the war goddess Ukathe, but they're, uh, ah, yes, he's a hell shield. I remember Glom mentioning that that's why the symbols are on fire. Hmm. Must have lost Ukathe's favor. You were in her favor? Oh, I've never been in any god's favor, I don't think. I mean, the corpse. Soren's eyes fell upon the blood-soaked parchment bearing the seal of the Cordalum. I approached the one who's pretending to be Ildrich. Can you see tracks from where you saw her flee? Yes, and I point to the direction we are headed, and I say that she ran off that way. I believe those are her tracks. The way we are headed. Naturally. Naturally. I, I feel like we need to move, but I feel like something knows where we're headed. Visibly shaking, Zorn began to read aloud. By order of Lord Anther and Granite Pike, Cordalum clan representative of Strothman's Hold, ten hell shields of the glorious host of Ukathe have been commissioned to retrieve his daughter to face charges of treason, attempted patricide, grand theft, and conspiracy, the highest possible offenses against her kin and clan. She is considered armed and extremely dangerous, but is to be captured alive to face justice at Strathman's Hold. There is a picture of her here, and it appears that they've been searching for her long before we left Ilmater's Hope. So, these men were definitely looking for Rowena. That's her. That's the woman I saw. 
I know that we were thinking that this may have been the work of the Silent One before, but, uh... It's looking more and more like this could have been her handiwork. There's a clear motive. She... she was a bard with our original party back when we, uh... We went through the gate to try to help things. We had some... We shared some conversations that I... That were important to me. She said that she lost control when it happened. When what happened? When Saffirai... I mean... I'd rather not talk about that. What's important is this. She is the one that ultimately, um... Stabbed me? If we do meet her again on the way into town, she is my responsibility. I... I would appreciate any help, but obviously you don't have to continue getting yourselves involved in my mess here. So you're out for... I'm out for answers. I don't know if revenge is the right way to handle this. She didn't only attack me. I... She's also killed another member of our party. My friend. You really need to explain this better. She... It wasn't her fault. Murder is typically an intentional act. I mean that her body was physically controlled against her will. She carried a cursed sword that made her do it. So you're saying that a woman who is wanted for trying to kill her father said that she killed your friend because a cursed sword made her do it? You have no idea what it was like. Well, maybe you do. It, it's complicated. I'd like to know why. I think I'll feel a lot better. I'd like to know why she attacked me. If she was really possessed by the sword. And then... <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen. If we run into her again, answers are what we will attempt to receive from her. Glum, you behind this? Glum looks literally lost. He just turns to Gale. Glum, is there... Some way, perhaps a phrase that we can determine now. Something that we can come up with to set ourselves up so that we know who we are when we run into these these encounters. Would that help move you forward? No, I'm I'm ready to move forward. I just don't know which way to go. So no code word pineapple. That would have been good to do yesterday. No, fair. So do you need to camp, or can we keep going? Nope. I, uh, I'm pretty sure we agreed not to camp amongst the dead anymore. But, uh, look at this. Teeth? Missing body parts? Uh, oh. Prosthetic leg. It's actually in pretty good shape. Are we going to keep walking through the entire night, though? Or should we camp at some point? We are a day and a half from the edge of the forest. We, we could attempt. We, we wouldn't make it, but... Perhaps we push on... A little while longer to get away from this, and then we we set up camp and then push as hard as we can to get out tomorrow. Great. I very much like to get away from these bodies and get some rest. Somewhere safer. There's nowhere safe, but I I agree, we need some rest. No. Glum stands up a little taller. We're being hunted. We have to change this game. I say we track this one. We push hard now, and we get her. And how do you suppose we do that? I don't know. I feel like I'm being hunted. 
They know where we're going. We need to change this game. If we're being hunted, friend, do you not feel that they have anticipated us following them? Alright, look, uh... I'm saying we... The only thing we can do right now is stop being the prey and become the hunter. We push hard, and we bring the fight to them. In my experience, the patient are the ones who... You did say you saw the uh, dwarf's footprints leading off into the forest. Yes. She she doesn't have that much of a head start on us. And if we do catch up with her, well, what do we do then? How, How do we catch her? How do we stop her? I don't know, but I don't like being played and toyed with. I'd rather go down facing whatever it is. No, I understand you're angry, but Eldrick said she was eating people. Actual people. I certainly never knew her to do that, despite her faults. We're being hunted. I feel it. We if need- it makes you feel better, we'll follow her. But you can't do that for a day and a half. You need to rest. If I'm right, she won't let us do it for a day and a half. If I was in their place and I was limited by this forest, I wouldn't let us reach the edge. Friend, you know the way out, yes? Yeah, it's the direction you pointed she ran. So we go in the direction she ran. We either meet her or we get out. Whichever comes first, hopefully we find some resolution in this battle. But you need rest. Glom raised his blade and started off in a sprint. With me! <laughs> you are all following me, right? <laughs> Just checking. Glom ran, and after a shared confused glance, the team followed him into the darkness, tripping over thorny brambles and patches of slick ice. His enthusiasm rapidly began to wane, and his pace notably slowed within 20 minutes as he critically failed a survival check, unable to see where the footsteps led and losing all sense of direction in that creeping darkness. Um, so, uh, maybe we should, uh, stop here for a moment and, uh, you know, just, uh, catch our breaths, uh, get our bearings. You know what, Glom? You appear to have found an oddly defensible spot, if some of us needed to rest. I know, I'm feeling a little bit tired, hmm? If we do find Rowena, we'll need to find our strength. We'll need to be prepared. This would be a perfect opportunity for us to eat something and get a bit of sleep. We'll particularly need our strength if she's all hopped up on human proteins. Oh, thank Raylier. I agree. Uh, Glom starts setting up camp. Fatigued, exhausted, the team began to aid Glom in setting up their campsite. I'd like to get some kind of trap or some kind of just something to alert us if anybody is approaching from the edges of our camp uh from the probably the direction we came and the direction straight ahead okay what kind of trap were you thinking i'll help set it up uh it's just gonna be like a a low piece of twine or something twine um that's just basically held against a tree branch that's bent back, so maybe it'll sweep someone who walks by. Okay, so if they come from either of those two directions, the twine holding the tree will cause the branch to loudly smack them. Yeah, pretty much. Do you have twine? Uh, hmm. Not on me. I do not either. Ah. Yep. Maybe some rope. Nope. Sorry. Maybe we could, like, make 
a rope or something. Sure. But in these conditions, without leaving the camp, that would more or less take the same amount of time that we'll be here. Ah. Yep. Are you both done being useless yet? I'd like some help making the fire. Yes. Sure Come thing. In. And while we're making this campfire into something nice, there is one more thing I should mention about the silent one. He, uh, he along with the nameless god, seems to possess the ability to invade dreams in some way. It's never really clear if something is happening only in your mind, or if it's happening for real. By which I mean his agents talking with you. So maybe don't let yourself get hurt in your dreams. And that's all I can really say. If he attacks, he usually attacks at night while we're sleeping. Sometimes in our dreams before attacking us physically. Just so you know. Wonderful. Wonderful. That's great. Uh, I'll take first watch. Traveling with you is a real treat, Sorens. Um, yeah, I'll take first watch too. Alright. Alright, uh, wake me up when it's my turn, Gail. Glom's done, he just curls up and goes to sleep. He takes off all his armor. As Glom starts to starts to fall asleep, I look over at him and cast Awakened Mind. And in his mind, just plant the song that Mother used to sing him when he was small. Aww. Long ago a hero was born In the shade of Eastwood Vowing to bring peace here to our land Joining the realms like old fables Journeying far with valor in hearts Be not afraid and sleep well <laughs> As the beautiful and haunting song from his childhood concluded Glom recovered three stress damage. And I have to take a moment to really compliment your singing, Gail, slash Holly, because that was really beautiful. Uh, with the roll of a 16, Ildrix was able to see Gail's lips quietly move in the light fluctuations of her hands as she sent her quiet song to Glom. Now, what were Ildrix and Gail doing on their watch? Um, I'd probably first do, uh, make sure we do a, a walk of the, the perimeter and just see what's what's going on, um, and then maybe just strike up conversation with Gale and say, uh, so Glom is, uh, disturbed. No? He has had a difficult life. We spent a lot of time together when we were small. He had the same big heart and friendly smile, but I... I had to leave under difficult circumstances. Glom is fond at heart. It shows, and I, I feel I feel for him. We need to perhaps keep an eye on him, though, as he hasn't been dealing well from my eyes with what's going on. No, he's having difficulty. He tries to protect everyone, and I think our recent run-ins with witches and slavers and this silent one business, it's worn on his state of mind. It has always been in his nature to protect those around him, and while I've never felt that burden, I do feel like I need to protect him. But I'm not used to protecting others, and I'm not quite sure that I know how. Maybe you could help? I have, uh, I have traveled and studied for a long time to, 
to help those in need, and I will do my best to to reach to him, you know, to reach out to him and find a way to I don't want to say bring him bring him back because that seems like he's too far gone, but help him with what he's dealing with the demons that are are perhaps following him. I'm sure he'll be back to normal as soon as we're back in town with a nice warm meal and a fireplace. <sighs> Just between us. Half of this is probably my fault. But our time apart has helped me grow, you know? I've learned things, I've made friends, I've picked up certain talents, and encountered monsters on the high seas. I've worked with people like yourself, with free spirits, folks of all kinds from Gensler, the Darklands, and the Azure Kingdom. Of course, of course. Um, the magics that you use on him he does not approve of? <laughs> Glom does not approve of magic at all. It's not his way. He believes that all magic supposedly comes from the god that opposes Relia. Fernuine, the grand creator, twin-headed god of magic and chaos. It's not that simple. Yes, I think I heard you speak the name of the, the sunken god, Neldich, who is a child of Fair new wine. Technically making Glom's claim correct. That's really not fair, and it's also not the point. Glom's had really bad experiences with magic, but you know that it's not all bad. It's just my way of protecting him, and it's a part of my life that I've kept from him. Of course, of course. I I feel perhaps... I don't know. I, I think he... He, uh... He might be reachable, but... You might want to try to come to some agreement with him in allowing him to know that you are... that you have these abilities. Surely his fondness of you exceeds his hatred of magic. It's not that simple. They're also the reason... They're why I had to leave our home in the first place without him. Hmm. And unfortunately that left him alone with our father. I did try and come back for him, but it was just... it didn't work. For the time, your secret is safe with me. Um, then I will do my best to... to help you and him communicate better in our journey together. I appreciate your help, I really do. So, I've opened up quite a bit just now, so tell me more about yourself. Or your meditative arts, or whatever. Sure. So the suffering god, uh, Illuvian, gave us breath. All life begins with breath. It is the inner strength often spoken of by great warriors, leaders, and public speakers. All true balance begins with breath, you see. And learning to control your breath can give you the strength you need to accomplish almost anything. So, uh, with that in mind... Uh... Ildrix and Gale continued on like this for another 20 minutes, and during a distracting monologue on the strength of inner strength and breathing, with Gale half-interestedly interjecting questions about the medicinal qualities of the different kinds of air, like sea air or mountain air, Gale recovered three points of stress damage, unburdened by the act of sharing part of her secret. But apparently, if her poor stress recovery role was an indication, second-guessing her decision to share so quickly and so much with a near stranger. Ildrix also recovered four stress damage, invigorated with the knowledge of being trusted with such a secret, and the firm belief that all secrets contain an element of power. 
Now came a constitution saving throw to remain awake and vigilant for the remainder of their watch. Uh, 19. 10. Gail began to blink for longer and longer periods of time the more Ildric spoke about breathing. But Gail could feel herself slipping and ate one of her shared rations to try and stay awake. Ildrix, being reminded of his own mighty hunger, also began to eat. Mm -hmm. And so, with a full stomach, sitting next to the warmth of their campfire, Gail's eyes eventually just closed as her breathing slowed. Ildrix clearly saw this. I, I, I let it happen. Watching again as the humans around him fell asleep, Ildrix's mind wandered back to the previous night and suffered from a critically failed sanity saving throw. Ildrix stared, dazed, out into the night's mist and spied something that gave him pause and fear. There, drifting between the looming shadows of the forest's great trees, faded and blurred by the hanging mists and oppressive air, were three red glowing orbs that when stared at, stared back. He was struck now, held by the grip of that red stare and the tightening fear that seized his body. Shifting, hypnotic, the stare held tightly with a power that Ildrix's breath could not match. Terrible, unpleasant, and strangling to the heart, body, and mind, Ildrix suffered 15 stress damage while waiting, painfully, pitifully, unable to speak, to move, to help, to do anything except force himself to breathe. And as he watched, the orbs grew closer, their lights brighter, their menace firmer. They moved from tree to tree, not quite hiding, quick and sharp. Oh, to be a gleeful horror in a land of dark shadows and heavy mists. At once it was gone, then seen again closer by dumbstruck Yildrix. Then it was low beneath bushes and in the mud, and again high in the trees, waiting in branches, always glowing and always closer. And when Ildrix blinked, the glowing orbs waited before a thin branching tree, shrouded in mists, until the tree bent and formed, and it was no longer a tool and thing of nature, but part of the emaciated figure of nameless knights. And it walked into camp, sauntered, the king in its domain. Its eyes turned down to look at each of the sleeping party members. First to Glom, helpless, curled into a ball without armor, in a moment of peace he so eagerly sought. Then to Soren. But what fun would it be to play the same game so soon? <laughs> and as its eyes implied a sly smile to Ildrix, its mass dropped suddenly, fell to the floor, and crawled toward Gale. Ildrix saw the creature's skin stretch and bulge. The eyes slide and shrink until taut skin formed a smile on a face that matched Gale's. A terrible smile on her once sweet face, looking over her sleeping self, blissful and unaware. Facing Gale, the silent one pointed at the sleeping woman with a long, disjointed finger. In these ways, it was not her. And as Ildrix watched in broken claustrophobic immobilization, the long-fingered hands of the creature that wore her face reached down over Gale's throat and began to squeeze. Gale now required a constitution saving throw as her very life rested in the grip of another. Four. Okay. Gale struggled, her desperate quick thrashing movements muffled by the forest floor and the oppressive mist. But even as she attempted to call out, the sound she was able to produce wasn't enough to wake her only possible aid. Part of Ildrix died as well, 
earning him 27 stress damage as he forced himself to watch the scene that unfolded before him. Gale's struggling slowed, her eyes fluttered, and the other face looked on with a cruel fascination. One final kick, and Gale's limbs calmed, her fists slowly unfurled. She lay in peace, seemingly asleep, yet again save for her eyes, those wide, terrified eyes outlined by the running eyeliner in tears. Now the creature looked at Ildrix once more, wearing Gale's face in her more natural, soothing smile, testing Gale's range of expressions before standing up and dusting itself off, having fully taken her form. Certainly a job well done. It never showed its back to Ildrix, not even as it grabbed Gale's leg and dragged her corpse off into the depths of the woods. Ildrix wanted to see more, to know the whole truth, but he couldn't move not even his neck, as he tried to follow the loss, the trail with his view. So, he waited, now stunned and broken-hearted, unable to summon so much as a sob. The sounds of the distant wind, of small animals in the trees, of insects crawling in the dirt, all reminded him that the world continued so easily, even after the terrible strikes. Until, after what felt like an hour or more of hellish pause, Gale returned, seemingly tired and ready for slumber. With a polite smile and girlish wink, she shushed Ildrix and crawled back into her bedroll to return to sleep in the place where the real Gale had been murdered. Minutes later, with Gale peacefully asleep in his view, Ildrix moved a toe, a foot, a finger, then an arm. The fear was gone and the panic had set in. His mind raced to rationalize the scene before him as a dream, because it was simply too horrible to otherwise exist. But now, what did Ildrix choose to do in the face of his living, waking nightmare? Yeah, I, um, I will, um, uh, I'll wake Soren up. Uh, just gently shake his shoulder and, um, Soren, uh, mm? come over here, quietly. Soren stirs and follows. I... I take him. I'm trying, uh, I don't know, uh, out of your shot, you know, uh, of the two remaining sleeping. Got. Okay. Uh, over to the log over there where we can sit, but not seem like I'm trying to lead him off to, you know, kill him. Yeah. Okay. Um, this, the silent one, you said it can shift shape, yes? Yes. He seems to be able to take an endless number of forms. And does it have the ability to paralyze a human or, or, or person? I have not seen it do so to others, but I have felt something similar to what you're describing. It's kind of like being in a terrible dream. Mm -hmm. The worst possible dream, where you wake up after learning that you've hurt someone you care about, or that someone matching your description is wanted for murder where you live. I don't know what they are. Illusions, memory loss, modifications, some kind of paralyzing ability that combines with the shape-shifting. But the feeling is terrifying each time, being frozen in place until you eventually black out and wake up somewhere else. And knowing that someone nearby has been hurt... I think that may be the worst part. I, um, I trust you, Soren, and I, uh, 
have witnessed something. I don't know if it was a dream or if it was real, as you have told us to be wary of such things, but one of us, Gail, may no longer be who she appears to be. I don't know how to determine otherwise, because Glom would not let us keep code word pineapple. Oh, it was a tragedy. I know. It have saved us so much. So I, uh... It, it did happen once or twice before, when I was with the other group, that someone would start acting strangely or would suddenly attack someone else. We we were never totally in control of ourselves, most of us, that is. I don't know if it was the silent one every time or if he can affect our minds to the point where we literally would attack each other all on our own. That's why I let her live, even after she... Well... So, what what exactly happened with Gail? She... She fell asleep on watch, and I found myself, after a, a while, paralyzed, unable to move or speak, and they... They, uh... A figure came over her, with three glowing orbs, and... It strangled her, and... And... Uh, and its face took the face of Gale. It dragged her body off into the forest, and after a while, Gale seemingly returned and went back to sleep. And sometime after is the point I regained the ability to move. And it also felt from your perspective as if you were awake the entire time? Yes. I, I feel like it wants us not to trust each other. I feel like this is the sort of thing it would do. I know it's difficult to know when you're still awake or, or when you've fallen asleep. I had the same problem with this thing many times myself. I would yes. uh, just advise caution and that we continue to trust Gale for the moment. But I do believe we should inform her of this event and obviously be ready for any sudden daggers to the back. I've become weary of that. They make you hurt when you laugh. I, uh, I trust your, I, I trust your expertise in this matter. Uh, we will perhaps leave Gale and Glom to sleep. Though, if you do not mind taking next watch, uh, I, I, I can stay up with you if you would prefer. Since this, uh, campsite is relatively open, we can see in all directions and all that, I think you should try to get some rest. I don't mind taking the watch myself, and I'll keep a very close eye on Gale. Yes. Oh, and if you don't mind just, uh, not sleeping very far away, I'll... I'll try to wake you if anything should happen. Of course. Of course. Thank you, Soren. Y you are truly someone I feel that I can rely on. Wish I felt the same way. What? You should get some rest before the sun returns. Good night, Hildrix. Good night, friend. And with that, Hildrix rekindled the campfire and fell asleep very quickly. Soren, who were assuming vigilantly guarded the camp, now required a constitution saving throw to remain awake, followed by a sanity saving throw of his own at the thought of facing a lone watch in the dead pines, his thoughts lingering on what his past self might have done in a similar situation. Absolutely. A 16 for constitution and an 8 for sanity. 8? Oh okay. boy. 
In an effort to keep himself focused, Soren consumed a day of trail rations as the swirling mist grew thicker, creating a Rorschach of shapes within the shadows of gray, made all the more formidable by the flickering campfire. Hmm, so Gale may or may not be dead. My amusement for the watch has now been eaten, and the weather is not really getting any better. I couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah, my son hates it when it gets like this. He thinks there's monsters in the fog or some nonsense like that. <laughs> That's because there usually are. Yeah, the uh, mist helps their senses, makes it easier to smell things, makes them harder to see. <laughs> there you go with that pseudo-monster hunting nonsense again. Are you really a monster hunter? You don't seem like the type. Of course I am. Of, of course, course you're not. not. Well, whatever the case, I think we should really talk about what happened. What do you mean? Well, for one, let's start from the part where you died. Where I allegedly died? Getting stabbed in the chest doesn't generally heal someone, unless it's a reverse dagger. Yeah, those don't exist. Trust the guy who sold three fakes. But let's look at it again. You got stabbed. You lost consciousness or whatever. And now... Now silver burns to the touch? Well, I've always had sensitive skin. Your vision at night is better? Mother always said carrots have been proven to increase your vision at night. It's, uh, scientific or something. Do you hear yourself? Yes. I, I hear what you mean. It might be time to face the fact that Soren may no longer be living... And that this might be some kind of purgatory. Or hell. None of that exists. Then, d does that mean that I'm... No longer living. That's not possible. As if by compulsion, Soren stood up and approached his friend, who remained concealed in the mist, seemingly pulled back with each step he took, though her legs did not move. I continue to follow her f faster to try and catch up. Soren's pace shifted into a run as he continued. Until he found himself standing atop the edge of a great stone building, looking down over a living forest, lit by the aurora overhead. The glow from its familiar stars giving Sister Cavern's fall, who stood next to Soren, an opaque quality. A void at the edge of the sky seemed to pull all of the red towards it, as heat lightning glimmered off the eyes looking at Soren. It is good to see you, Soren. Though not as good, given the circumstances. Sister Cavern's fall. Is that you? Who else would it be? Well, a certain shape-shifting son of a b Blessings upon you comes to mind. Soren, our time here is limited. I need to tell you something. A portion of a prophecy. Why just a portion? Because you're wasting time with questions. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Soren, Rowena has changed. There is a darkness within her, a cruel, shifting chaos. She and Sindri set events in motion that will lead to death and ruin for all if they are not stopped. More ruinous than the stirring of the nameless god. That event will not take place for some time, decades, maybe a century or few, and there is still hope. But the first child of Fernwine has stirred. You must not tarry, must not stop, must not rest, and if you are able to reach Auden in time, you might just be able to prevent the prophecy from drawing breath. It's really not much to go on. Uh, 
How did you come across this information? And how am I here? How are we able to talk? Illuvian does not wish to see his creation suffer as he does. Please, you must not let the others distract you. You must not deviate from this path. That or you're just asleep by the campfire again. Wait, we're back at the camp, back in the mist. I was just home. The fire is unmoving, cold to the touch. Am I asleep? Are, are you doing that? No, but heed this final promise. You will arrive in Ilmetter's hope, unharmed by the grace of my god, but rest assured horrors await you and horrors stalk you. Rowena must be stopped before they reach Cromana, or this event cannot be undone. Where? Wait, no, stop. How do I know I can trust you? Can you really trust anything out here? <sighs> Thank you. Soren? Soren, Soren! Soren? 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 What? How did we... How long have we been walking? Just as you said, it's been a day and a half since you woke us up. Glom ran ahead, and I think that's the clearing for Elmater's hope. And I'm guessing the stress damage you rolled over there is, uh, is for me? Soren, very far from the mist-shrouded campsite, confirmed with his steel-blue eyes that Ilmater's hope was just ahead, taking the indicated amount of stress damage having no memory of the last day and a half of the adventure. Sure, as you do. Emotional wounds also reopened from seeing his long-lost friend. Chest isn't feeling very good about it either. So he doesn't remember the... No, nor do the people listening to this podcast. And as the team approached Ilmeter's hope, the stench of rot only grew stronger. Dark Dice, Chapter 4B, Lost. Featuring Jeff Goldblum as the Silent One, Peter Lewis as Soren Arkwright, Holly Billinghurst and Sean Howard as Galen Glom Vogelberg, Russ D. Moore as Ildrix, David Alt as Ias Hinskeep, Caitlin Statz as Sister Caverns Fall, and Travis Vengroff as Dungeon Master. This episode had dialogue editing by Sarah Baczynski of Polarity Audio Works and Travis Vengroff. Produced with additional editing and sound design by Travis Vengroff, with mixing and mastering by Brandon Strader. This episode featured music by Stephen Malin, Brandon Boone, and Travis Vengroff. To support this production and get access to bonus releases, music, world lore, art, and early access to future adventures and D&D materials, please join our Patreon at patreon.com slash foolinscholar. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram as at darkdicepod. This is a Fool and Scholar production. Thank you for listening. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. 
That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.